the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Whether you're listening from far away or next to beautiful Seneca Lake, we hope that through the reading and proclaiming of Scripture, you hear God's wisdom, challenge, and blessing for you today. If you're able to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9.30, we at Hector Presbyterian Church would love to share Christ's peace with you. As we prepare to hear the scriptures, let us pray. Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light, and in your truth find freedom, and in your will we'll discover your peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. A reading from the book of Deuteronomy. Listen for God's word to you. So love the Lord your God and follow his instruction, his regulations, his case laws, and his commandments always. Place these words I'm speaking on your heart and in your very being. Tie them on your hand as a sign. They should be on your forehead as a symbol. Teach them to your children by talking about them when you are sitting around your house and when you're out and about, when you are lying down and when you are getting up. Write them on your house's door frames and on your city's gates. Do all that your days, so your days and your children's days on the fertile land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors are many. Indeed, as many of the number of days as the skies been over the earth. Pay attention. I am setting blessings and curses before you right now. The blessings if you obey. If you obey the Lord, your God's commandments that I'm giving you right now. But the curse if you don't obey the Lord, your God's commandments and stray from the path that I'm giving you today. By following other gods that you have not known. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Our second reading comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew. Listen for the word that began creation. Jesus said to his disciples, You have heard that it was said to those who lived long ago, do not commit murder, and all who commit murder will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with their brother or sister will be in danger of judgment. If they say to their brother or sister, you idiot, they will be in danger of being condemned by the governing council. And if they say, you fool, they will be in danger of fiery hell. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go. First, make things right with your brother or sister and then come back and offer your gift. Be sure to make friends quickly with your opponents while you are with them on the way to court. Otherwise, they will haul you before the judge, 
and the judge will turn you over to the officer of the court, and you will be thrown in prison. I say to you in all seriousness that you won't get out of there until you've paid the very last penny. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you that every man who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. And if your right eye causes you to fall into sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better that you lose a part of your body than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to fall into sin, chop it off and throw it away. It's better that you lose a part of your body than that your whole body go into hell. It was said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a divorce certificate. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife except for sexual unfaithfulness forces her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those who lived long ago, do not make a false, solemn pledge, but you should follow through on what you have pledged to the Lord. But I say to you that you must not pledge at all. You must not pledge by heaven because it is God's throne. You must not pledge by earth because it is God's footstool. You must not pledge by Jerusalem because it is the city of the great king, and you must not pledge by your head because you can't turn one hair, white or black. Let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. The word of the Lord. As a child, I didn't really pay attention to worship on Sunday mornings. I stood up to sing from the hymnal that my mother held open, but it took years for the words that we were singing to sink in. And yes, over time, I learned to recite the Lord's Prayer along with everyone else, but I probably only half listened to the prayers of the people around me. Most of the time, I spent that hour drawing on the worship bulletin with pencil and crayon. I was a kid, engrossed in my own world, eager to dash out after the benediction for a donut. But on the first Sunday of the month, my mother, sitting next to me, would pull me out of my self-absorption. First Sundays were communion Sundays, celebrations of the Lord's Supper. And my mother didn't want me thinking that communion was snack time. So she explained how Jesus loved me so much that he gave his life for me, and how we remembered that when we ate this bread and drank this juice. And she passed on to me 
what she learned from her parents, that before you partake in the sacrament, you get right with God and with others. Was there anything I had said or done to my younger brothers for which I needed to say I'm sorry? Then apologize. They're right next to you in the pew. Was there anything I needed to tell God? Take a moment to confess it in your heart. For my mother, being a disciple of Jesus is a highly personal matter but it's not an individual affair. Relationships matter. Other people matter. Jesus began his Sermon on the Mount by blessing other people, the destitute, the grieving, the humiliated, those who hunger for bread and for justice. He continued by affirming his disciples, us, calling us salt of the earth, salt by which God flavors the world and preserves what is good. He called us light of the world. By you, others will see what life in the kingdom of heaven is like and will praise God. Now, Jesus turns his attention back to other people. He turns his attention to the worth of idiots and fools. Well, I mean, the people I think are idiots and fools. And then Jesus goes on to affirm the worth of people who are so difficult to work with or to live with, those who rub me the wrong way, and, heck, even people who sue us. And then Jesus surprises his disciples who are in line with a culture of male superiority by affirming the worth of any woman reduced to an object in the eyes of predatory men. Any woman turned from a who into a what by men who get what they want. And by extension, Jesus affirms anyone whose value we judge just by the way they look. Those to whom we make promises, Jesus affirms them. Keep reading and you'll find that enemies are on the list of people to love too. Relationships matter. Other people matter. And it's infuriating. It is. I mean, what are we going to do? Not get angry? Not call someone out on their BS? Are we going to wait for them to stop what they're doing and to come to us to reconcile? Maybe we should wait for them to sue us. It's infuriating and exhausting. Jesus requires so much work from us, not just to be self-aware, but to seek out others and make amends. Not just to monitor our thoughts, but to 
tear out or chop off any behaviors, please do not dismember yourselves. Any behaviors that put harmful thoughts into practice, not just to make our yes mean yes, but to examine ourselves and to judge when we really can't do something, even though we really want to. It's exhausting and discouraging because once we pay attention, we see how stuck we are. The fires of hell have got nothing on our obsessive need to assign blame or on our capacity to stew over how others have wronged us. The fires of hell have got nothing on our shame over broken promises, our feelings that will never be good enough, or our desire to dope out the pain. And every disciple, from those sitting next to Jesus, to the saints of past centuries and present years, every disciple knows that no matter how hard they try, they can't do it all. Yes, relationships matter. Other people Matter. We are responsible to one another, accountable to one another, even given to one another as members of one body, one community. It's infuriating, exhausting, discouraging even. And we are not alone. I confess that when I get bogged down in what Jesus says to me about what this life in the kingdom of heaven looks like, I forget that it is Jesus who is speaking to me. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus who came to the Jordan River to be baptized in order to join us on the journey from slavery to freedom. Jesus, who left the shores of the Jordan to wander in the desert, being tempted as we are. Jesus, who knows that this kingdom of heaven life is highly personal, but not an individual affair, and so calls fisher folk to join him. Jesus, who comes not to do away with the Torah and the prophets, but to fulfill them. The Torah and the prophets are intimately concerned with relationships. The legal material of the Torah outlines how members of the covenant community should relate to one another and how the community should care for outsiders. And the prophets consistently call the people to lives of integrity, lives of mercy and justice, and together... The Torah and the prophets testify that this way of life, it's God's idea. It is God who initiates covenant life with us, and it is from that God that all our relationships flow. Like a red thread 
this affirmation of the Holy One runs through the Torah and the prophet and the Psalms. Again and again, we hear how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Patient, that is, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is the one who has come to us in Jesus Christ. This is Emmanuel, God with us, who sweeps us into heaven's dream for the earth. This is the Savior who frees us to inhabit relationships in a different way. When we are infuriated, sometimes rightly so, Emmanuel frees us to seek creative solutions, to seek a third way beyond tired talking points, beyond the entrenched positions that we inhabit. There is art and music that make us think. There is nonviolent resistance that dances with joy. And always, always our God liberates us to laugh at ourselves. And that kind of laughter, that's carbonated grace. When we are exhausted, Emmanuel frees us to turn to him and to ask for help. We can't do it all alone, especially when the work isn't just personal, but about transforming society. We can't do it alone, and we don't need to, because God sends the Holy Spirit to us, and the Spirit brings along friends to hold us accountable to join in the struggle for justice, to walk alongside us and laugh with us. And, as the Torah reminds us, at least 24 hours out of the week, we can pause in our labors and acknowledge that God is still God, still keeping the world turning, still keeping covenant with us. That's the gift of Sabbath. And when we are discouraged, Emmanuel frees us with forgiveness. God melts down our self-loathing with mercy. The Lord, whose loyal love is the beating heart of creation, repairs our broken hearts with compassion. We can always begin again. Every moment we can recommit, we can say, yes, Lord, with your help. Our reading from the book of Deuteronomy claimed that the choice between blessing and curse is between obedience and disobedience. From what I can tell, the choice is between turning to God, our covenant maker and keeper, or trying to go at it all alone. 
Without the mercy and compassion of God, life in community can be nothing but infuriating, nothing but exhausting or discouraging. It's only when we turn to love, when we reach out to Emmanuel to help us, that life in community can flourish. Then, then people will see the words of the Lord in our hands as if we had tied them there. Then people will see how kindness and patience soften our hard edges as if God's word were on our foreheads. And as mercy flows from God to us, mercy ripples out. That's what Fred Morgan can tell you. In the spring of 1971, Fred was months away from graduating seminary and beginning his work as a Presbyterian pastor. But then the future fell apart. His wife filed for divorce, forcing Fred to confront his failure to be the partner he had promised to be. And then the chair of the committee on preparation for ministry paid him a visit to break the news. Presbyterian churches don't want divorced ministers. So he could say goodbye to the dream of pastoring a congregation. In the long weeks that followed, Fred finished his coursework and prayed. He prayed for forgiveness for the mistakes he had made. He prayed for compassion to part with his spouse on amicable terms. He prayed for wisdom and guidance. Lord, tell me what to do. When a position in Corpus Christi, Texas, there on the Gulf of Mexico, opened up. Fred applied. During the interview, he was so worried. His divorce had just gone through. What would they think? What would they say? In that moment, Emmanuel freed Fred to tell the truth about his divorce. And in the awful silence that followed, one by one, members of that search committee opened up about their own experiences of hurt, their own failures, their own broken promises. They recognized in Fred someone who knew God's mercy. And with that mercy, Emmanuel freed them too. Beloved of the Lord, our relationships matter to God because we matter to God. The heart of God has from age to age broken open for us, reached out to us, welcomed us back. The heart of God is not far off, but beats in the chest of Jesus Christ, God's love made flesh, 
endured anger and objectification and broken trust, who went to the cross and to hell and back again so that we might know that we are not alone. In this mercy, in this faithful love, there is grace enough for every single one of us. And so for such grace, let us give all gratitude and glory to God, the eternal voice from heaven, the anointed and beloved one, Spirit moving over the waters. Amen.